Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. So my name is Gail Johnson, and you might recognize that last name. I am Brent's mom, and I am not a stranger to Eastlake, and every time he invites me, I'm always just so impressed that he invites me to come, because it means he somewhat trusts me with you. And so I will try to be as good as I can, because I appreciate his trust and don't want to do anything to break that trust. But, um, so, but I love Eastlake. I love coming here. I love you. I just, it's just fabulous. Um, the work that you do here and how God is, is cultivating this life in you through Eastlake. So I'm delighted, especially on this Memorial Day. Um, good for you for being here. I just saw a pass report just before I came. And right now you are looking like rocket scientists for staying home. It's, one time I saw a sign. I wasn't, it wasn't me who saw the sign. But it said, you know how they, in Ellensburg they have that little... Um, that little sign that says pass, you know, 58 miles, your real time, it said 354 minutes, oh. right? So hopefully um, you're feeling really good about your decision right now to be here and to, and to come to Eastlake. Good for you. But um, I, sometimes I hear these things, and, and um, I heard it again this week, and it made me cringe. Every time I hear it. It just makes me cringe. I was sitting with, over coffee with a friend, and we were talking about kind of the, the economy, the state of the economy in the U.S., and some of the other things, and that kind of thing. And, and finally, she just says, well, God is in control. And there's something about that. And it's, it just makes me cringe. Now, you, you got to go, what's your problem, Gail? Why don't you think that God is in control? Yes, I do. Of course I do. I think he is the God of the universe, and he orchestrates the nations and the lives of men, and all things are held together. Of course I do. I think it was my problem with it was the way she said it. It was just so flippantly, oh, well, God's in control. Just so, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. And I think that she said it um, it's, it's kind of like this idea, well, God is, you know, God is in his heavens, all is right with the world, all will be okay. And I don't know that she, really, she said that, that she ever thought that perhaps she might lose her 401k. <laughs> right? Somehow saying that makes all things better for us because we said it. Surely God will not touch our retirement. And we say that in a way that's so disconnected from our lives, from our real lives, from, from our doubts and our disappointments and our hurts and our struggles. We just say it flippantly as if th- that makes everything go away. And it doesn't. We're still loved. We're still left with these struggles and these heartaches and these fears that we encounter every day. The, I think one of the worst things is that it keeps us disconnected from God. Um, it's kind of like, God, you do your thing and make sure that it makes life go well with me. And we can walk away kind of feeling satisfied that, you know, God's on his throne. 
Uh, certainly he'll make things go well with me because that's what he does. The problem is, what if he doesn't? What if it doesn't go the way you think he should? Well, that's when we shake our fist at God, isn't it? That's when somehow we say, God, where are you? What have you done? Why didn't you keep up your end of the bargain? I said it, didn't I? And you let me down. And we're, it, there's all sorts of emotions tied with that because we kind of set ourselves up for that. Thinking just because we can use God talk that it makes all things better. This platitude effectively pushes God impersonally to the periphery of our lives, and it reduces our faith to mere cosmetics. Mere cosmetics. Scripture, however, does not take this remote approach to God. and that what we see in Scripture is a personal God who acts intentionally and interventionally into the lives of people. The, the Bible is, is not a book of good thoughts or principles or things, you know, to make life go well. The Bible is the story of God. It's about God. It's not about you and how you can harness principles for better living. It's this narrative. It's written as a narrative about the story of God and how he intervenes in the lives of men and women and nations. Scripture never reveals God as this theological construct. It never reveals God as someone who is in the sky, who is distant and far away, and perhaps he's uninterested, perhaps he's aloof. But Scripture always portrays God personally as someone who invades our lives with his presence and invites us into his redemptive purposes in the world. Always personal. God is not out there waiting for you to summon him if you need help. You know, and sometimes that's how we live. We're, I'm good, God. I've got it all under control. If I need you, I'll let you know, and then I will summon you. God doesn't work that way. He is intimately involved in each of our lives. One of my favorite authors, and if you, you are a reader and love this, you should get every book he's ever written. His name is Eugene Peterson. I think I quote him every time I come. But he wrote this. It's going to be on the screen. God is nothing if he is not personal and can only be known by personal response. We cannot know God through impersonal abstractions or in solitary isolation. The only way God reveals God's self is personally, never impersonally, as a force or an influence, never abstractly as an idea, a truth, or a principle. God is not something you can harness into a nice saying. And if you do, you miss the personal God who wants to be involved in your life on every level. See, we have to be convinced of this as I get into the passage that I'm going to read to you this morning. If you're not convinced of this, that God is personal, he cares, he invites, he calls, he loves you personally. If you're not convinced of this, this will be a really difficult passage for you to get your arms around. I'm reading from the book of John, or I'm sorry, James, chapter 1 this morning. And it goes like this, and this will be on the screen for you as well. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced 
into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, I don't know about your reaction to this. When he starts off, consider it a sheer gift when trials come. That just, that's like a timeout. You know, that is not my first response to a trial. Absolutely. My very, and probably yours, I'm guessing, our first response when things come at us is, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? Some, sometimes it's, how can I run from this? How can, God, how can I get away from this? This sounds like a crazy man talking. Consider it a gift when stuff comes at us that threaten us. Then it says, but it's, he doesn't just say, you know, trials and challenges. He then says, when they come at you from all sides. It isn't, you know, we're, we're all used to trials, things that come along every so often, and we're up against this thing, and, and we're going to have to deal with it. But he says when they come at you from all sides. And I don't know about you, but the culture and the age in which we live in right now has been defined by researchers and theologians, and, and as it's been characterized as the age of anxiety as the age of anxiety. There is so much to feel anxious about, whether it's economical or political or global, all of these things. And the, the thing with anxiety is you can't always put your finger on it. You, just, you can't always identify what it is, but we kind of live with this low-level anxious feeling at that um, this always kind of dominates our subconscious, it feels like. It's always there. Well, James says, consider it all joy. You're going to have to know the kind of God that we, we love and serve in order to understand this. And this just feels so out of touch with our real lives. The lives that we live are going to work, are raising our kids, are paying our bill lives. How do we do this? How do we find joy in the midst of these things that threaten our lives and cause fear and anxiety? How can I fix this? What do I need to do? First thing I do is check my resources. Well, I have this much in the bank, and maybe if I get a second job, or I could call another doctor, I could get a second opinion. We worry and we worry, and these things keep us up at night, and we hope they go away, but oftentimes they don't. It reminded me of this passage in the New Testament when Jesus was preaching and he had his disciples around him and he was on the hillside in Galilee and there were about 5,000 men and then including women and children beyond that. Thousands of people had gathered to hear Jesus preach. He had spoken all day and they, they had come and listened all day. And it was getting nighttime, it was getting dinner time, and the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, um, it's, it's dinner time. These people are getting hungry. They've been here all day. Um, you need to send them home. And Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said, no, you feed them. We're talking about 10,000. You feed them. And they look around at each other, and they go, Lord, we only have this much. And it, was, it could all be you know, held in one. We have this much. And their, their answer to the problem, this great 
thing in front of them, this giant mountain in front of them, was to make it go away. Jesus, just please make it go away. And that's often my prayer as well. Jesus, this is just too hard. Would you please just make it go away? You'll have to read the passage to find out the rest of the story. I'm going to make you do your work this week. But, oh, well, never mind. (laughs) And James doesn't say if you encounter trials. He says when you do. Because we all know, we've lived long enough in this room to know that trials come. We're not exempt. Because we, we call ourselves Christian, we are not exempt from the things of this life. And again, we can, we can get angry at God if God doesn't show up how we think he should. You know, after I've had someone say to me, um, and I've pro- I'm sure I've said it myself, after all I've done for you, this is what I get? See, you laugh. That's a nervous laugh. (laughs) That is a nervous laugh. And I don't blame you because we have this idea that somehow because God is in his heaven... That um, he's and and he's supposed to make we we have this idea that God we have God in life to make life go better we have Jesus surely life should go well and when it doesn't it's like after all I've done it's kind of this barter system I do this and then God you will do this and we set up this cutting good deals with Jesus if I do this this and this you know if I believe the right things do the right things go to church regularly pay my tithes then surely you will. And that is not a transformational faith. That's a transactional faith. And somehow God will always come up on the short end if you live that way. He will never quite come through for you how you think he should. I think the problem was, uh, is that oftentimes, there, I mean all the time, there is this tension. When life happens and somehow God doesn't, do what he's supposed to do and make life happy for us. There's this tension. And it's easy to get angry. It is. Here's the problem with the whole cliche, the, the platitude, God is in control. The problem is, yes, he is. No doubt. He is almighty God. The problem is because he's personal. He wants to wrestle. He wants you to be engaged with him. He doesn't want you to spout a platitude and walk away and then wonder why he's not doing what he's supposed to. He wants to engage you personally in the struggle, you know? It's the problem is we just don't want to wrestle with God. We want to say something, and God will show up and make things better. It doesn't work that way. There's a story in Scripture in the Old Testament about a man named Jacob. And, and he... he I won't tell the whole thing, but he ended up, God wrestled with, I mean, it was a literal wrestle with God. He was engaged, and you know, when I've never wrestled, but I kind of get, I've seen wrestling, and I kind of get the idea that wrestling is very close and very personal, right? It's just this wrangling of, of position and, and control and all of this thing, and the and I think God wants to do that with us. I don't think he wants us to be disengaged from him. I think he wants us to press into this struggle to find out what, what he's doing to, to be in close contact with him. And the thing is, the end of that, I'll tell you the end of the story of the wrestling with God, is that he did come away with a limp, the man who wrestled with God, but he also came away with a new identity a new identity. You're never the same when you wrestle with God. 
never the same. And it's always worth it. Don't miss the transformation. James said it at the very end, that will be made complete and whole. That's the end of this wrestling, at the end of our passage. Do, stay in it, because at the end, there will be transformation as long as we stay engaged with God. He goes on to say in that passage that I just read, he says, consider, consider it a sheer gift. One translation says pure joy. Consider what James is saying to us is he says, stop, consider, think about this. Take time and reflect with what's come your way. And especially, don't jump to conclusions about God or about the trial you're going through. First Peter, St. Peter wrote this in his book. He said, friends, it's going to be on the screen. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Do not assume he's disinterested, he's aloof, or he's forgotten you. That is the exact opposite of a personal God. In fact, God is right in the midst of whatever circumstance. He is not outside of it, looking in and saying, you should get your act together. He is right in the midst. But if we don't consider, if we don't stop and look with new eyes or reflect, we can miss his presence right in the middle of what we're going through. It's interesting, the word circumstance. You know, we all have circumstances, right, that come our way. The word itself, circumstance, means standing around. Hmm, I had to think about that, standing around. And then I began to realize what circumstances do is that they stand around so close to us that they block our view of God. They block his presence, that, that we can't see it or feel it. He's there, but the circumstances can be so close that they block our view of him. Don't let your circumstances block God's presence in your life, this personal God. James says this. He says, focus Walk with this trial. Walk with God. Engage God. There is more grace embedded in this than you realize right now. You don't see it, perhaps, but God is right in the midst. His presence is with you. He is a personal God who wrestles with you in the midst of this. He doesn't stand outside of it. He is with you. He is with you. We just sang um, a couple songs. I'm writing the words down. Number one, it's one of my favorite songs. And he says, God is, he is no less God in the shadow. God has not left you. He is not hiding from you. And think, God is not just with you in the good times. He's especially with you in the, in the shadow times, in the difficult times. Um, and it says, um, your, your name can move mountains. And it says, I, um, when I walk through the valley of death, which so often... These things that come at us can feel like that. We feel like there's no way out. He says, when I stand in the valley of death, I'll sing through the shadows. And then it says, my song of ascent. That phrase, song of ascent, is actually taken from the book of Psalms. And within the Psalms, there's about, 
I can't remember, about 19 chapters in the book of Psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. And what that is, our Song of Ascent, when when, um, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem for the Passover once a year, and what they would do, Jerusalem is high up. It's one of the highest points besides a couple of the mountains in Israel, especially when you come from Jericho or the Dead Sea. It's up. In fact, the Dead Sea is about 2,500 feet. It's about 30 miles from Jerusalem, but it's 2,500 feet below Jerusalem. So everything, whoever's going to Jerusalem is going up. And while they go up, they're reminding themselves of who God is, of what he's done in their lives, and how great and faithful he's been in their lives. So as they're going, they've recorded these psalms, and they sing them. And you can look it up. You can Google it and get psalms, songs of ascent. And these were the songs, these were the prayers, these were the psalms that they sang to themselves as they walked up to Jerusalem. And all the while, it was to remind their hearts that God was real, that he was a good God, and he intervenes in their lives. And we need remind, we need our own songs of ascent. And so maybe perhaps that's why journaling or we write something down. Because God is constantly at work. And if we don't pay attention, like James says, we can miss what he's doing. And we can stay in control. You know, it's funny. Whenever you talk to someone, they'll, I've heard this so many times. I wish I had a nickel. Um, well, someone will just go, well, you know, I'm just a control freak. It's like this badge of honor. Well, you know, I just like to stay in control of everything. And, you know. and we kind of pride ourselves in that. And for the most of our lives, we, we need to stay in control, right? We're, we're parents. We're employees and employers. We have to be responsible. We have to make things happen. We have to produce to some extent. And we, the pro- tragedy is when we carry that over into our spiritual life. I'm in control. I'm good. And I'll figure things out. And I'll let you know, God, if I need you. The thing is, we're not as in control as we think we are. We're not as in control as we think we are. And we wrestle with God for control. We wrestle with God who who is going to, are we going to define our lives or is God going to, are we going to surrender and allow God to define our lives in the ways he sees fit? I just want you to know, though, that it will always be in good and whole-hearted ways. Whatever God is doing in you and through your trials and through all the stuff that you're going through, it's always good and will transform your life for good things. Now, one thing that James says that he's really careful to say, and I appreciate this, he says that trials in and of themselves are not good. They're not the re- and I'm really glad about that because I think the things that come my way are not good things. So it's not the things that come. It's the God who is with you in the midst of it. See, joy, um, the joy comes or, um, through the trials when they re- is by what they reveal. Our trials reveal things. He says in, in the passage that I read, he says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. The trials help expose 
us for as we really are. Kind of, it just kind of tears away everything. Who we are trusting in? Who, um, who do we think will save us? Where does our help come from? That was one of the, the Psalms. Um, you've heard, maybe you've heard the um, where it says, "Where does my help come from?" Um, from the hills? Does it come from the hills? That's not talking about God. When they were going up to Jerusalem, the hills were covered with idols, other idols. And they look around as they're going up and they go, where does my help come from? Does it come from the hills? And they would answer, no, it comes from God alone. It comes from God alone. Their joy comes from what they reveal. It opens it up. And I hope you pay attention to those things, that when trials come, what comes out of you? You know, what comes out when you're tipped, like a little teapot kind of thing? Trials help us realize that we are not in control, and in fact, we need a Savior. And that's a good thing. I don't know about you, but I need a Savior every day to save me from myself. From, the, from this white-knuckle grip that I have on my life and my children's life and the things that I consider important. The problem with living that way is it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And life has a different, God has a different life for us to live. We're not meant to go through life with white knuckles. That's not, that's not living abundantly. That's surviving. And if we think we have to do it on our own, if we think if it's going to get done, we have to do it. It constantly puts us in a place of fear. Again, that exhausting place. And we, we, the problem is, too, is we act as if God doesn't exist. We act as if God doesn't exist. So when Jesus said, I am with you always, this isn't just a nice saying. When Jesus said, I am with you always, this is the basis of our faith. This is why we said, uh, the song said, when I go through the shadows, I'll sing my psalm of ascent. This is the basis of our faith, that he is personal and, and you are never, ever alone. God never leaves you. He's never disappointed in you. Did you know that God never, ever condemns you? He never looks at you and shakes his head and goes, oh, well. There is never condemnation that comes from God in your life. He loves you, and he's with you always to be that presence in the time of your trials. The thing with trials, and this is so good, it'll be on your screen. Trials help us to live aware. All of a sudden, trials make us hopefully come alive. and make, They make us responsive and engaged in conversations and invitations into the actual redemptive, saving ways of God in our lives. Let me say that one more time. Trials help us to live aware, to be responsive and engaged in conversations, hopefully, and to the invitations in the actual redemptive, saving ways of God in our lives. God is always active in your life. There is never a moment, because the Spirit lives in us. Those who have accepted this life with God that Jesus invites us into. This life of God is alive and dynamic and creative. There is never a moment he is not inviting you into something new. And the invitations often come in trials because trials often wake us up to God's presence. They often wake us up to God's voice in our lives. And you know, the thing is, even 
even in the midst of trials. If, if we can't go to this place of, you know, recognizing God, it's okay. Maybe trials bring up in you doubts, questions, anger. That's okay. Here's the great thing. You can encounter God. God, that engages God. When you have questions, you should ask them. When you have doubts, you should, you should say them to God. Thou, those keep you engaged with God. The worst thing that you could do is walk away. The worst thing that you could do is walk, stay engaged in the struggle. Ask God, what about this and this and I don't know about this. Go ahead. Because it's so much better than walking away and just concluding that God was disinterested or aloof or not interested. Stay in it. That's why in, in verse 4, James writes this. He says, so don't get out of anything prematurely. Don't walk away. Let it, let trials do its work so you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Stay with the struggle. It's okay. To, it's so okay to have fears and doubts and all of those things. As long as you stay engaged with God, you know that he's present. You know that he's real. Even if he doesn't feel real, even if the trials are so difficult. Let trials do their work. And if we run, if we try and grab for control, because sometimes we think anything is better than nothing, right? We just need to make something happen. And we short-circuit God's purposes and his flourishing work in our lives. That's what James just said. Don't get out of it. Stay with it so that God can um, bring about flourishing and wholeness in your life. See, the trials not only reveal who you trust, if you consider them, if you consider and think about and walk with those things, you will help discover that God, you'll discover that God is in you. He's a self-revealing God. He delights in revealing himself to you. He is not a God who hides. He delights in revealing, he is always revealing himself to you. We are the ones that get so distracted. We have these circumstances standing around, clouding our vision, clouding our view of God. But he is right in the middle of it. And he's actively involved in your life. There's a little prayer that I say with my kiddos, um, especially when I get to, um, okay? Um, I put them to bed at night. I tell them this. Just before I kiss them to sleep, I tell them, Jesus is real. And he loves you more than you know. And he wants you to know him. And if you call out to him, he will help you. That's what I tell That's what I want them to know more than anything else. That he's real, he loves you, he wants you to know him. This personal God who delights in revealing himself. If only we will look, if only we'll stay with it and reflect on it. And if we call out to him, he will help you. Romans 8, um, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 says this. It'll be on your screen. It says, Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them 
find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, complete, um, spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing. And God doesn't like to be ignored. He doesn't want you to walk away. He doesn't want you to throw up his hands and say, I'm done. This is it. He wants you to stay with it and find out what he's doing. See, I think it's not so much asking God, where are you? As it is asking the question, what are you doing? What are you doing in this? Stay with that. Walk with that question. Keep your eyes. Let the trials awaken you. Open your eyes to what God is creatively and dynamically doing in your life. Stay awake. God, what are you doing? I love that. The thing is, there is always more going on than what you know. Always. God is more active than you think, and he's, he's doing more than you realize in the moment. Romans 4, um, 4, 17 says this. I love this. I was reminded of this verse this week. It, said, it says, we serve a God who calls into being things that are not. We serve a God who calls into being things that you have no idea what's around the corner. You know, so this is what I do. Maybe you don't do this. When stuff happens and I'm up again, I usually give five ways how he can fix this thing. Seriously, every time. Okay, God, this is what's going on. Here's how you can fix it. This way, I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you out and give you options. You can do it this way, this way, this way, this way, or this way. And I got to tell you, 100% of the time, God didn't choose my plan. I don't get that because they're pretty, you know. The thing is, it was always better than any of the five. I could never, anything, I, something I could never imagine. It was always better. Out of the blue, had no idea it was coming. And God does that. I have a friend who, um, when she was in her early 30s, developed breast cancer. And, um, you know, that's kind of a big thing. And she began to walk with this. And she, she was a believer. She's a Christian, loved Jesus. And all this, she called me one day and she said, Gail, I just can't believe what God's doing. How he's orchestrated everywhere I go. I see God doing this and this and this and this. I just can't believe what he's doing. In the midst of this, this she ended up having to have a double mastectomy. She's 35 years old. She's going, I just can't believe what he's, and she's begin, telling me, you know, God led me to this person, and we did this, and, and this is happening. <laughs> and I can't remember if I said it to her or I thought it. But I said, Diane, he's always been doing that. He's always been active. He's always been orchestrating. He's always been calling. He's always been setting up divine. He's always been doing that. But sometimes the sheer joy and the gift in the trials is that it opens our eyes to those things. 
And when I talked about the wrestling, you got a new identity, she is a change. She has never been the same. She is a completely different person. And that thing about a new identity, it changed her life. You know, it's one of those things, you know, would you wish that on anybody? No. But I'm, um, what's it say? You don't wish it on anybody, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And you don't really say that until you're through it. But it's true. But I wouldn't give it up for anything. You see, it seems joy happens not when we think we finally have life under control, but when we can embrace and delight and engage in the happenings of God in us. Being a Christ follower means that we have to live differently. We have to live differently. We don't live grasping for anything we think will take away our fears, but never does. We surrender those things to God and allow God to define our lives. God defined my friend's life in a way she never imagined. And oh, what a gift to allow God to define our lives, to decide what our lives look like, because it's always good, it's always life-giving, and it's more than we ever imagined. And allowing God to define our lives requires this steadfast confidence that wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, we can know that God is doing his very best work in our lives, even in the midst of difficult places. James says it is entirely possible to be joyful in trials. And this is not just the nice saying of a crazy man. I don't know what you're going through today. All of us have something, because all of us live real lives in a real world. All of us are facing something. But be assured of this, that God is in the middle of it, redeeming your life. Trials are part of God's redemptive purposes in our lives. Don't run from them. Stay engaged. Wrestle with God. Give him your doubts. Give him your pain. He he welcomes those things because he's personal. And he wants to do a good work in your life. But for trials to do their work, to bring wholeness, to bring transformation, to bring goodness, you're going to have to stay engaged with the personal God and know that he is real. So this week, as you walk from this place, I, know, I was going to say, think about the trial you're in. You, it walks with you constantly. You are constantly aware of what you're up against. But would you remind yourselves this week that God is real? He loves you more than you know. He wants you to know him. And I would say he wants you to know him in a new, creative, life-giving way. And if you call out to him, he will help you. Don't run. Stay engaged in the struggle. Let's pray. So Jesus, what a wonderful, you came. You came as the, to become the God who is with us, not the God who is distant, who is out there in his heavens looking down. You came to be the God who is with us, to help us know and understand and grasp that we are never alone in this world. What we go through, you're there with us in the middle of it. We're not alone. I pray that that truth will seep 
into every heart and sink down into our bones and into our souls that they're not alone. And they can call out to you and you will help them and you will transform their lives. You will do a giant work of redemption in ways they never imagined. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.